Welcome to the latest Experts in the Field podcast from Foot Anstey's Farms, Estates and Rural Land Team. With guest speakers and in-house experts, we'll provide insights into rural developments and current affairs. Thank you for joining us on the latest edition of our podcast series. This week, we're joined by one of my colleagues from our contentious probate team, Alex Rogers. Alex specialises in resolving disputes about inheritance and trusts and acts for individuals, charities and corporate trustees. We're also joined by Robert Marshall. Robert works in our tax and trust team, advising clients on succession planning and hopefully avoiding the issues that Alex and myself often have to deal with. Welcome to you both. Hi, Edward. Hello, Edward. So today... Uh, we're briefly going to be discussing the problems that can arise on the death of a relative. All three of us sadly see these issues come up regularly in farming families. Often the disputes could have been avoided, or at least the issues much reduced with some better forward planning at an early stage. We see the cost of both in terms of the money and the expenditure in trying to resolve these disputes, but also the huge emotional toll and upset that can be caused. It genuinely does ruin lives. We hope that some of what we cover today can help avoid those listings finding themselves in those similar difficult circumstances. Farming families are in many ways a unique business. Living and working together on a capital asset which will risen hugely in value over the years. The challenge of passing that down a generation or possibly ensuring that there's enough to go around a number of siblings to continue farming is a very difficult one. All of that comes with the added layer of the complexity of family relationships. These disputes over inheritance and succession planning normally arise after death, but very often the difficulties manifest themselves many years before with partnership disputes and all forms of other different claims. So let's start by putting a question to Alex. Alex, when a client comes to see you and they're unhappy about what they receive from a family member's estate, what are the common questions that they have for you? They're keen to understand whether they have a claim and whether that claim might have prospects of success and if it does, how that might play out, whether they will need to go to court or use some other means of resolving the dispute. So initially, obviously, we talk through with the client what has happened and try to understand a little bit more about perhaps the family relationships and what is important to them, what they're trying to get out of the process, how we might approach that. So obviously, many of our cases tend to resolve through correspondence or at mediation. That's a particularly helpful way of getting everyone together and really narrowing down the issues and identifying a solution that works for everybody. And sometimes that can be a solution that doesn't necessarily sort of fit with something that the court would order, but it works for everybody involved. And I think obviously another thing clients are keen to know is how much will it cost and how can they fund the claim? So that's something we can talk through with our clients. There are various different options for funding and different solutions suit different people. And obviously clients hopefully coming to you when they're thinking about the future and looking at wills and things but I'm sure that some of your clients over the years have come and asked you about sort of the question I posed to Alex but when they're unhappy with something they've received what sort of examples of questions have you come across? I think the most frequent one that I receive as they'll come to me usually at a point before there's a there's any sort of argument on the horizon or dispute their question will be a much more general one about what they can do to maybe challenge the arrangements that have been made with, say, mum or dad's will, and what they can seek to do to perhaps secure greater provision for themselves if they think what has been done is unfair. My role tends to be at that point, mostly to point them in Alex's direction. But what what I try to do is avoid those outcomes in the first place. I try to head off those issues at the past. Unfortunately, by the time someone's died, 
it's often too late. But with some sensible lifetime planning, then it can make a big difference to what happens at yeah. the end. Perhaps can I ask in your experience, why do you think we see so many of these types of really unhappy, unpleasant disputes arise in farming families in particular? One of the types of claims we'll talk about in a bit is called a proprietary estoppel claim. And if you look at the legal press and the wider press, like the Daily Mail, for example, in recent years, they report a number of those types of cases. And I think almost all the ones I've ever seen have always been farming families. What do you think you know, is unique about those circumstances which generate the, those types of things? I think it's the combination of two factors primarily. The first is that if you look at any farm of a decent size on paper, it's enormously valuable. When people fall out, there is a lot of value there at stake to argue over. That's combined with the fact that typically there will be one child or relation who is the farmer, the one who is earmarked as the successor, and another one who probably didn't have that much involvement with the family farm. And the difficulty most farmers face is that you can't make absolutely equal provision for the farmer and the non-farmer. Inevitably, the farming child is going to receive something of more value. And that is what causes a great deal of tension. And that can eventually spill out into to open dispute and litigation, unfortunately. Uh, Alex, what are the most tom- common types of claims that you that you look at? As you touched on just now, Edward, many of the claims involving farming families have an element of proprietary estoppel to them. So that is where a family member, perhaps the person who's died, has made promises to others that they would receive pieces of land. And sometimes you see circumstances where the same piece of land has been promised to multiple people. And obviously that can be challenging to resolve. Um, and... Often a proprietary estoppel claim, it might be combined with something else or you might see a standalone claim. So, for example, a challenge to the validity of someone's will, perhaps because they lacked capacity to make it or they were under pressure from somebody to make it. Then there are claims by family members who believe they haven't received enough provision from somebody's estate. And they can rely on an Act of Parliament called the Inheritance Provision for Family Independent Act. And that that allows people who have a close relationship to the deceased person or were maintained by them to claim an award of cash or land or even the right to live in a property. And then I suppose finally, there are claims relating to the administration of an estate where perhaps the person who is dealing with the assets has got something wrong or has, has acted improperly in some way. Yeah, I think the only other category of claims I add to that, Alex, from our experience working together is very often where these sorts of disputes arise post-death, there's often been unhappy farming family partnership arrangement for many yes, years. Yes. And there can be questions and queries arise then as to how profits were shared, how things were accounted for, etc. And it's surprisingly common and disappointingly common for lots of queries to arise on those sorts of things after someone's passed away as well, just to add to the complexities things. Alex, maybe to bring this to life for those listening, perhaps you can give a brief example of a case that you've worked on, just given a flavour sort of types of issues that come up. Yeah, sure. I suppose the example I have in mind is something, a type of case, I suppose, that's common to many of the cases we've worked on together. And it's where there is a dispute around, say, a partnership or there's a proprietary estoppel claim and a client has come to you and said, I would like some advice on that. And then you bring me on board as well and we identify other claims. So perhaps a claim 
under the Inheritance Act where our client requires a greater provision from the estate and perhaps that claim can be run alongside one of the other claims. So, for example, they might have a claim to in relation to partnership profits or they might have a proprietary estoppel claim to a particular piece of land. But then also they have that claim under the Inheritance Act, which isn't about a specific asset as such. It's more about what they need for their day-to-day expenses, living costs, and whether or not the provision they get from the estate will satisfy that. Quite often we, we are working together closely and looking at all of those pieces and how best to present our clients' claim to the other parties. Rob, obviously uh, a lot of the talks that you and I do, uh, groups like the NFU and others, is around how you avoid all of these problems. Have you got some thoughts as to what people listening can start to think about? I think if I was a politician, I'd stand up on my podium and I'd say, the expectations, because that's what it's all about at the end of the day. If the if we're talking about the, the classic farming family, mum and dad farming together for decades, and you have the child who has been helping them farm, and then the non-farming child who probably doesn't live that nearby and who lives their own independent life. Um, in that scenario, it is vital that both the children understand what they can expect when mum and dad pass on. It's as important that the farming child understands, well, if I'm doing all this stuff, I'm working hard, and probably being paid less than what I could get doing something else. What am I going to receive at the end of it? Will it be the whole farm or will it only be part of it? So it's important that they know what the deal is. But equally, the non-farming child needs to appreciate that there's likely to be an unequal division after mum and dad have died and roughly speaking what sort of value they might hope for on an inheritance so i think that's key and the situations where i see families that have really cracked that it's not just about telling them what they can expect but also helping them to understand why particularly with the non-farmer because it's very easy for people outside of agriculture to assume well, these things are enormously valuable. Why is my sibling getting so much and I'm getting so little? It's vital that that part of the discussions about what to expect include, and this is why it has to work this way. This is why your sibling needs such a large proportion, because otherwise the farm wouldn't be viable without it. So if you can manage that, then you're a long way forward to, to avoiding a dispute arising after death. In terms of the the types of documents that we talk to clients around what they should be looking to make sure they have, it's very helpful if we run through. Obviously, first thing you've highlighted, which all of us would agree with, is the real importance of a real full open discussion in 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 farming families about these things. It takes years and years of planning to put in place plans to pass down assets to the next generation and maybe build up a farm so it's big enough to split into two for example but the sort of formal documents that people should be starting to make sure they've got in place and everyone's aware of them is obviously wills partnership agreements it's amazing isn't it how often we come across partnership agreements which are either not inviting or are really out of date and need to be significantly updated but there's lots of other things wasn't it like uh, family constitutions we come across those where people sort of everyone in the family is clear what the plan is and also pre and post nuptial agreements which often come up. Alex, have you got anything to sort of add to that from your experience, perhaps your top tips on things that people can do to avoid 
get themselves in these situations and needing your advice and my advice. Yes, no, sure. And I think I'd agree with Rob really about the communication point, because quite often I'm working with people who are very surprised by the will or the lack of a will or partnership or lack of partnership agreements following their loved one's death. So I think there's a communication point, the planning point. It's just so important to, to go and see Robert, yourself, your colleagues and get things prepared because the amount of money that you might spend dealing with those matters during your lifetime, it's likely to be very modest in comparison to the costs that your loved ones will spend after your death in trying to unravel things and resolve matters. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both for your time today. Some of the issues that we've come across today come up in, in some other episodes in the in our podcast series, for example, prenuptial agreements, etc. So please do take a listen to those and I hope everyone listening today has found that very helpful. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next Foot Anstey Experts in the Field podcast. Join us next time for more insights on important rural and agricultural issues. Find out more about our podcast series at footanstey.com.